Welcome to the European Greens podcast, where we talk about the way forward to a greener and fairer Europe, together with green leaders and activists. The European Greens are a European political party that brings together national parties sharing the same green values, like democracy, feminism, support of LGBTQ+, and climate action. Listen wherever you get your podcasts, and together, let's green our future. Hello and welcome to Green Talking Heads, the podcast of the European Greens, where we discuss the way forward to a greener and fairer Europe with green leaders and activists. You are listening to part two of the episode on child labor and forced labor. In the first part of this episode, we heard from MEP Anna Cavazzini, and today I'll be in conversation with Belgian member of the European Parliament, Saskia Brismont, who's among many other things, also a member of the Committee on International Trade. In June 2021, Saskia Brismont presented a study named 50 Billion Euros, Europe's Child Labour Footprint in 2019, which she'll go into more details throughout the episode. So during this conversation, we'll touch on the need for context-sensitive measures that will avoid marginalizing vulnerable children even more than they already are, the impact of climate change in the increase of child labour, and the practical things citizens can put into place for more conscious consumerism, even though the responsibility is on the institutions much more than on the citizens, Saskia says. Enjoy this conversation and make sure to share this episode around you. Uh, Saskia, thank you so much again for accepting our invitation. We're super, super happy to have you today uh, to talk about child labor. And to start with, um, yeah, I'd love to just... For us to be able to frame forced labor, child labor, I know there's an involving termino- terminology in the, in the EU on this topic. So maybe just a bit of a, a definition, framing what we're going to talk about and also your experience uh, on this issue. All right. Thank you for inviting me to talk about this important topic. Indeed, yes, we have to distinguish forced labor from child labor. Although the international organization, work organization, is uh, also distinguishing different forms of child labor. And among the worst forms of child labor, which could be assimilated or compared to forced labor, we find work of children in mines and uh, real exploitation of children. And this is important when we talk about the solutions or the policies that we could adopt in order to uh, end child labor. There's no one solution. For the worst forms of child labor, we could go for a ban, as we are trying to, to push it now for forced labor. But for other forms of child labor, it's slightly different because uh, we will talk about it. But child labor is really often due to the socioeconomic situation of the family, of the community. We've seen with the pandemic and the closure of schools, of uh, workplaces, that uh, families have uh, been put without income at all. And they had to send their children uh, to, to, to work uh, in order to provide uh, basic needs to the family. And so um, it's uh, very often not a matter of choice for families. And that's important because if we just ban the import in the EU of products coming from child labor, there's no solution uh, afterwards for the children themselves and the families. And so that's why we need to Uh, really distinguish the categories of child labor and provide with appropriate solutions to each situation, actually. 
Uh, that's actually something that I wanted to come back to a bit later. But since you mentioned it, I think that's a, that's a very important point because actually, so um, because this is a, a two-part episode. Um, in in the other one that we have with MEP Anna Cavazzini, there's there's a mention on the fact that we need to establish an EU instrument on trade legal basis. However, uh, the study that we will talk about also in a minute that you worked on states that a, a mere prohibition, just like you mentioned, uh, of, of the entry into the EU market of goods produced um, with child labor may lead to indeed a counterintuitive outcome. And so I'd love uh, if you can actually tell us a little bit about, you know, sustainable and, and context sensitive solutions to that, because indeed a lot of the times um, it's much more complex than just, you know, banning things or making sure that uh, there's, a, there's a trade um, legal basis. Right. I um, ordered a study uh, in order to, to see uh, what's the, the, um, what I call the European child labor footprint, because the EU is first importer. So it's a very important economic player, the international um, scene. And um, the study shows that we are importing for 50 billion euros of products uh, issued uh, from child labor, which is huge. So we see that uh, we have different levels of action possible. There's the development cooperation policy that is really uh, playing an important role. But as a member of the International Trade Committee, I consider this also an important role to play through our trade policies. And there we have, and the study also shows it, different possibilities to act depending on the economic situation of the partner countries. Uh, let me take the example of, for instance, China, Brazil, Indonesia, uh, from which we import products made by children. They are, for the three of them, members of the G20 countries, which means they're not developing countries. They are countries where they have the capacity to develop concrete solutions such as good wages, good working conditions, uh, providing with education and access to school. And so it means that they have the possibilities to, to do it. And we could, in our negotiations, trade negotiations or investment negotiations, include sanctions if they do not comply with, for instance, the main ILO conventions, including uh, child labor. And so this is a sanction-based approach towards those countries because they could, you know, develop policies, national policies in order to uh, fight against child labor and provide with alternatives also for families and providing social protection. This is another approach that we would uh, have towards other countries, would not be in capacity to provide with education, provide with better wages and so on. So uh, there during the trade or investment negotiation with uh, those countries, the idea would not be to have a sanction-based approach, but incentives to work with them towards improvement of the situation and less uh, child labor on, on their market. And that could be coupled to development policies and different aid instruments and, and support and cooperation instruments in order to combine uh, the work that we do through our development cooperation uh, policies from EU side and our trade policies. Because for the moment, there's no coherence between uh, both approaches or not uh, enough coherence, I would say, in order to have a, a real impact because our trade policies are not pushing the partners to work on the child labor dimension. So this would be a different approach than towards better 
healthier, I would say, on economic level countries. And it's also important to have a focus depending on the sectors, because uh, usually we think about the cocoa sector, for instance, but it's uh, an important sector. But we also have uh, the sector of electronic products that is concerned. And we know that we will uh, become more and more importers of um, electronic products and raw materials in order to develop as well renewables as electronic uh, apparels. And so it's an important sector. And the third one is the textile sector, still employing a lot of children. And those three sectors, cocoa, electronic and textile, represent 80% of uh, EU imports related to child labor. So we see that there, uh, there is a real possibility to act through um, our trade policies. Great. That's super insightful. Thank you so much. And I'm really happy that you mentioned that because I think that sometimes we don't necessarily realize what kind of industry we're talking about, but definitely electronic goods like is a massive one. And even if we, if we think about, you know, our smartphones and everything that, that takes to actually build them, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty huge. I'd love to uh, just go back into the study a little bit. So uh, just to frame that as well. So this um, came out in June 2021. The study is called 50 billion euros, Europe's child labor footprint in 2019. So with data of, uh, from uh, 2019. Uh, and just another highlight that, uh, that came from the study is also that the EU's f- footprint concerning child labor imports uh, was around 2.4% in, in 2019. Yes. And I'd love to hear if you have any other um, highlights that you really want our listeners to uh go home with, know about, um, and, and listen today. Yes, those 15 billion euros a year represent about 100 euros per European citizen. So this makes it very concrete. And I think we all agree that we are against child labor and that we do not want to consume products, buy products that are issued from child labor. But unfortunately, uh, many of our clothes, of our smartphones, uh, finds uh, still uh, child labor at the end of the supply chain. And this is something really important to know, I think, not to feel uh, guilty, but to feel empowered and say, okay, I can have an impact on the situation of the children at the end of the supply chain by consuming products that are considered as being uh, respectful uh, of child labor and go mainly towards the, the sustainable trade, fair trade label, uh, which is considered as being the, the strongest one when it comes to responsibility of the, the producers of the industries of uh, the companies and respectful of the, the rights of the workers and working on this uh, uh, instruments in order to provide for education and work on uh, the wage parts and the prosperity part of the workers also in order to have a concrete impact. And so as consumers from the EU side, we, we have that power uh, to say, okay, the, the fair trade approach should become uh, the mainstream approach when it comes to, to, to trade in order to, to really tackle those issues. And I'm talking about child labor, but it also uh, it's also true generally for workers' rights because the fair trade label has a real engagement to verify that uh, right of the workers are respected all along the, the supply chain. And so this is really uh, an important dimension. Yes, as consumers, we have power. And this study is very interesting in, in, in that sense because it brings really highlights on the way we could, as legislator, 
acts on uh, different policies, including trade, towards uh, the, our economic partners in order yeah, either to sanction, either to support them um, to tackle this issue. And of course, many governments want to address uh, this issue and few people really employ children uh, with, with great pleasure. So we really have to, to consider the different situations separately and not have just, you know, one approach towards child labor. Ursula von der Leyen, when, when she took her uh, position as a president from the European Commission, uh, declared zero tolerance towards child labor. And it's good to declare zero tolerance towards child labor, but it's not enough to just, you know, say zero tolerance and then not adopt the, the adequate policies, including in trade policies. And uh, as we have the debate now be between import ban on products issued from forced labor, uh, we really need to have a differentiated approach when it comes to, to child labor. And this is also one of the strong messages from this study is uh, that zero tolerance means that we really need to include child labor in all our FTA, uh, so free trade agreements, negotiations, uh, economic partnerships that we have with uh, different countries all around the world. And uh, the study shows, and it, it, there's also a map uh, showing from where uh, the products uh, come when it comes to child labor. So we have the data. We know uh, where uh, we can act and with which country we can act. Finally, the study also shows that the US, for instance, has a, an interesting approach towards child labor and uh, that we could get inspired by what the US has done. So for once, they could be a, a model and we could also become partners uh, because together, uh, U.S. economy and, and the European economy, we could really also make a difference when it comes to child labor. So it's a positive message I want to carry here. It's that we can, we can really act. And there is a matter of emergency because with the pandemic, UNICEF and the ILO estimated that it's around 10 million more children that uh, are or will be at work by the end of next year which is huge and uh, which also means uh, that there is a real reversal, the global trend that was positive those uh, last years when it comes to child labor. So we really uh, need also in the, the, you know, the recovery phase to um, address that issue. Completely, yes. Thank you so much. I love that you're coming with the, the numbers as well. That's very, very helpful to then be able to visualize and grasp the reality of all this. Okay. Uh, an important point as well, definitely the, the, the pandemic, uh, um, you know, has worsened a lot of different situations. And I want to make a point on, on climate change, which I know is a, a topic that's close to your heart as well. Um, there's also actually a, a UNICEF report, you just mentioned UNICEF, um, that talks about climate change and the link with the child and children's rights crisis. And uh, it actually states that one out of three children already undergo uh, climate crisis. So I'd love if you could um, elaborate a bit on like how, you know, climate change could even have an impact on the increase potentially of, of child labor. Yes, it's uh, adding, climate change is adding the challenges to the existing ones uh, because uh, climate change is affecting primarily, even though if we experienced uh, also the effects in Europe of climate change, especially this summer, but it primarily affects southern countries, which are also the countries facing child labor. This is one element. The second element is that 80% of the children that are at work 
are usually at work in family-based uh, farms. So uh, we see it's not only through trade that we can act. It's also uh, through the development cooperation policies that we can really uh, act and working also to empower the countries and the local farmers uh, in order to make their product of their work sufficient to be able to send their children at school instead of using them uh, in the fields. Um, so we know that with the climate change, those farmers will be even more affected with droughts, with uh, floods, and the impact on the agricultural sector will be important and more and more important, which means that families, also a lot of women, uh, proportionally more women uh, that are at work in the agricultural sector, and children, uh, as a consequence, will be uh, affected. And it's true in different ways, and this is really um, interestingly <laughs> highlighted by a, a report made by uh, UNICEF. And one of the recommendations of this report is to include children in decision-making, uh, to include children also um, in the climate negotiations. And we've seen here during the, the COP26 that youth are very active, but they're not as such considered as being part of the negotiations and having their place in the negotiations. Although, firstly, uh, the climate change will uh, uh, um, disproportionately affect them. And uh, we also know that the future generation will face uh, more and more the impact of uh, climate change on all sectors, uh, economic sector, environmental uh, sector, education uh, will also be impacted because, again, if children are um, living in regions that are affected by climate change, priority for them will not be to be sent to, to schools. And so this is really highlighted by this report and it shows the, the degree of emergency to act on, on this front as well. And unfortunately, for the moment, the climate, climate policies are not uh, designed in a child-friendly manner, including the impact of policies and the decisions that are made on children. And this really needs to be to be done fast in a, in a near future. And it's the same for trade, coming back to, to trade impact assessments of our trade policies on children uh, and on child labor particularly also need to be to be included. Thanks so much. Yes, I love that mm -hmm. one of the recommendations was actually to uh, to involve uh, children in the, in the decision making. I, I just had to um, meet a lot of different youth delegates as part of the World Forum for Democracy that I took part in in Strasbourg. And a lot of them are highly frustrated because they feel like, you know, uh, there's a lot of vocabulary around empowering them and giving them a voice when really they have a lot to say already. They have a lot of agency and a lot of the solutions. So yes, it would definitely be interesting to see uh, these recommendations be, be implemented. Thanks a lot yes. for that. The um, Commission uh, decided to make 2022 the European Year of Youth. And uh, the, the child rights strategy that was adopted a, a couple of months ago also mentions as one of the priorities to include participation of children in, in decision-making processes. This needs to become uh, concrete and not just a declaration again. And, and making it concrete would be to include them in the, the negotiation process. And this can be done by the COP27, the next um, conference of the parties on, on climate, uh, this can be effective. And that's where we will yeah. see if the Commission is consistent uh, between the 
declarations and the acts. In one one month, this year is is almost over, and it's uh, the twenty twenty one was declared the UN year for the elimination of child labor. And unfortunately, the the results of our policies are quite deceiving. So I'd I'd like to ask a, a final question with you know some more uh, maybe concrete tips because I know that you do a lot of concrete things as well in your personal life, anyways, to make sure that you can um, be a, a conscious citizens. And so beyond you know the policies, beyond the study, um, we see actually that consumers' behavior uh, has also changed, also has to change in order to for for these things to have an impact because uh, a lot of this companies, you know, uh, actually produce in massive majority for us consumers from the European Union and the global north in general. And I'm really happy to see that, that there's actually a growing amount of citizens initiatives going in that direction, even here in, in Belgium and Brussels. Uh, but what practical tips would you give to someone trying to, you know, have a conscious approach to uh, consumerism? I know that, for example, there's a, a really useful app where people can actually see and find out if what they bought involved child labor. But yeah, any other concrete day-to-day uh, -day, uh, actions that people can take? Yes, consumers are really powerful. We are what we consume. But the responsibility is not on the shoulder of the consumers. Although their action will influence the industry, companies, which will influence politicians. And that's the reality. That's how it works, unfortunately. Politicians should take the responsibility and uh, not consider uh, the power of the lobbies in order to, to take new policies. And I think about due diligence, you know, uh, responsible business conduct, uh, reforming the, the sustainable development chapters in our trades agreements. These are all issues that we need to tackle at policy level, but we feel that there is a reluctance due to the huge power of the lobby, uh, of the lobbies, of the companies. And in the textile sector, to, to, to keep that example, the lobby is huge because we have important labels that are relying on long supply chains and they produce in countries such as Bangladesh and other countries where uh, children are still at work, working in, in those sectors. And they also produce huge amounts of uh, clothes, which has an important environmental impact as well. So there's a social impact of such a model, but it's also an important environmental impact. So how can we act concretely is to push those levels to, to really act responsibly and uh, to be transparent about the supply chains and the way the clothes uh, are produced. But it's also by consuming differently and going to other kind of stores, locally uh, produced clothing. Uh, it's starting to, to become, you know, more and more a, a reality in our cities, mainly in Brussels. You have many shops trying to find products issued in Europe, produced in Europe, or um, having also fair trade labels, and turning to, to second-hand markets, all the, the circular economy sphere uh, relying on uh, the reuse of uh, old clothes in order to make new ones, and, and so on. So um, there is a real trend in consumer appetite for um, you know, more vintage clothing and uh, reuse, uh, upcycling also, um, and uh, makers that are really uh, trying to find new ways to, to respect uh, social and environmental standards. And 
it is by uh, turning to them that the industry will feel that uh, it needs to, to, to follow this trend. But we will keep international markets. I mean, uh, we will not put an end to international trade. And what we need to do is that we need to ensure that international uh, companies, exporting companies and uh, companies that actually have delocalized their production, ensure that the uh, Workers' rights, social rights, human rights, and environmental rights are respected uh, from Europe to the end of the world, the end of the supply chain. And that's, yes, we can act on these dimensions by consuming differently. Uh, definitely, uh, this will influence. Uh, we'll make maybe one link with food sector because there is a huge demand for local food, local production, uh, good food, organic food. And uh, we see that it really influences the industry. It also uh, influences policymakers. The Commission uh, presented a farm-to-fork strategy, offering new avenues for uh, organic farming and so on. And this is thanks to the consumers, thanks to the local uh, producers, um, agriculture sector that is really pushing towards local and better food. And uh, I think in the textile sector, we have that power because textile, we all wear every day uh, clothes and we should probably think otherwise if we, we see a nice t-shirt, but at a very low price. If we don't pay the price, who pays it? And it's often workers at the end of the supply chain and children that pay, certainly not the companies. Unfortunately, yes, definitely. Thanks so much, Saskia. This were really uh, action-provoking uh, statements to end this episode. Thank you so much for taking yeah. part of the Green Talking Heads. We're super happy to have you. Uh, if there's any last word you want to share, things that people need to follow, know about, uh, this is the time. Yes, I uh, following the, the the study on child labor and uh, this huge uh, child labor footprint of the EU, I decided to ask an illustrator trader Charlotte Meert to uh, put it in uh, in cartoons and so I really wanted to be able to talk about this topic in a in a simple manner with also images for children uh, so I invite you if you are interested to to get that material uh, online on my website uh, it's available and you know working with children around this issue on the 20th of November is the day of the rise of the child. It's a good opportunity uh, to talk with children about what's going on at um, in our world and that yes child labor is still a reality and that some children do not have the chance to go to school and uh, it's important to raise awareness among children because they are the, the, the future consumers and they are the generation that will make the difference also by consuming differently. And so uh, this is a message I wanted to carry and just, you know, having a, a study of uh, more than 100 pages that many people will never read. Uh, but as there are interesting um, proposals and recommendations in there, talk about it in different manners. Do not hesitate to, to download those, um, those cartoons and to use them in, in, in class or uh, with uh, children and, and young people. Amazing. I love that. Yeah, there's, uh, there's bits of information for everybody. And I love that this is accessible also to, to children. So thank you so much. We'll put the link of that in the description of the episode uh, when that comes out. Thank you so much, Saskia. Great. Thank you.